Today's episode of the Iconic Podcast, as always, brought to you by Iconic Clothing Company. In today's episode, episode 21, Bo's calling up a familiar voice to this podcast and to his 92,000 Twitter followers and many more loyal readers online, Robert Mays, staff writer for the, for the Ringer and most notably covering the NFL. He's absolutely my go-to writer uh, for all things football come the fall, one of the best writers in the industry covering the sport. If you may recall, to our loyal listeners who, who've date back a few years now, he did join us in the fall of 2017, 2017 Excuse me, to talk all things uh, NFL at the time. I think we were talking Eagles back then before they made their uh, historic playoff run. He was one of the first few guys that was all over that Eagles team, absolutely loved him, and of course they went on to win the Super Bowl that year. Um, we also did talk a little bit of zoo stories back then. This was during the KCOU days. Just one of the best guys all around, and he's going to join us once again. However, he does cover other things than the NFL, most uh, most notably and most recently, dropping a story on Giannis in the Milwaukee Bucks playoff run. And you know, you know, Bobby Bucks is going to deep dive right into that, so they start off the conversation with that. Um, he's also a huge TV fan. Many of the, many people may, may not know that. He will time to time write some think pieces on the ringer.com regarding TV shows. I think his most recent one was regarding Veep. And then if you also follow him on social media and Twitter especially, you know he's a huge Game of Thrones fan. Um, so they're going to talk about that. They're going to talk about the Bucks. Um, it's an all-around good conversation. I'm glad he could join. He's a Chicago guy. He's Mizzou-made. He's one of my favorite sports writers on the internet. Um, he's an all-around good guy, like I said. And Bo and I can't thank him enough for coming on yet again. He's beyond gracious with his time, and he's one of the most talented dudes in the industry, so we th- we can't thank him enough. <sighs> All right, I got to do this. I got to do this. Sorry, Bobby. I got to do this. Before I preview the second half of the episode, I got to get this off my mind. I know y'all can hear it in my voice right now. I know you can. I'm currently taping this preview the night of the 14th of May. Just got done watching the NBA draft. Excuse me, the NBA lottery. Jesus. The NBA lottery. My mind's in 10 different places right now. Wow. If you know me, if you listen to the show, follow me on social media. Just in general. You know how much the Chicago Bulls mean to me. I'm devastated. I'm salty. I'm shook. I'm not surprised. Really not in the slightest. Luck is either on your side or it's not in life. It's simple as that. Simple as that. After the second worst season in Bulls history... They will be picking 7th, as many of you already know. Three spots lower than they were projected to go, which is 4th, which is currently occupied by none other than LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. This had nothing to do with basketball, nothing to do with the ball bouncing on the court, and he still finds a way to take our draft pick, our projected draft pick. I mean, first of all, what great TV. What great TV. If you're the NBA and you want to make a spectacle of this for the next 20 years, this there's no better way to do this than flattening out the lottery odds, making the top three teams have absolutely no, basically, I mean, tanking's eliminated after tonight. As you know, the New Orleans Pelicans snagged the number one pick, likely to take Zion Williamson. Memphis Grizzlies outside the top five as well. Going second, Knicks third, Lakers fourth, For the third straight year, the Bulls will be picking seventh. It's tough. It's really tough to build a contender when you're picking seventh year after year. 2017, they trade Jimmy away. They get back Lori, which really turned out to be a great trade. 
next year, 2018, they drop a spot. They were supposed to go sixth. They drop a spot. The Kings go past them, go to second. The Bulls pick seventh. Get Wendell. I really like Wendell Carter. But he's not he's not a superstar. It's really tough when you're being so bad, when you've lost 115 games in the last two years, and you're getting rewarded with a seventh pick. Now I get it. The lottery odds, they've been flattened. It's a whole new ball game. And I think tonight was a great night for the NBA to, to, to showcase that. That tanking shouldn't matter. And on that end, the NBA won tonight. But on the other end, whew, you cannot tell me. You cannot make me believe that Adam Silver walks away from that draft night. Excuse me, this, tonight's the lottery night. You cannot tell me he's ecstatic with the way this turned out. I know he's ecstatic with the idea that these teams are going to realize that you can't tank anymore. But <laughs> the New Orleans Pelicans, are that's that's where Zion's going. He's going to New Orleans. It's already been reported that Zion isn't too happy about it. He's one of the greatest guys to come into the NBA, what it seems like. But even he can't even show it. He had to get out of there as soon as possible. He wanted to be a Nick. I don't blame him. He wanted to bring basketball back to the Mecca. And he's now he's going to New Orleans. That's a football town. I'm sorry. I'm sure there's diehard Pelicans fans out there who loved Chris Paul, grew up with Chris Paul, who love Anthony Davis and were devastated by the trade news this year. But you cannot tell me that more people care about basketball in New Orleans than they do in New York, than they do in Chicago, than they do in L.A. And so if you're the NBA... And you got the three biggest markets in the lottery. New York, Chicago, LA, even Atlanta. And they all fall outside the top two picks. I mean, the Lakers jump from, I don't even know what they were scheduled, like ninth or 10th to the fourth pick. And if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, you lose LeBron last year for the second time in free agency. You lose 63 games. You fire your coach. You know, obviously they did the tanking measures just like the Knicks, the Bulls, the Phoenix Suns, all those teams. They they didn't they didn't do anything out of the ordinary. They were just a bad team this year. They lose all that, and the Lakers still pick in front of them. I don't know. I, look, I'm a little biased right now because my team just dropped out of the top five. Couldn't even make it to their projected spot. Tanking ain't a thing anymore. It just isn't. It's just not. And obviously now, you know, the Knicks, they look like they're going to land R.J. Barrett. There's a whole lot that's left to be determined. But if you're the NBA, there's no way you can convince me that Adam Silver is happy about this. There's no way. That's a football town, New Orleans. It's a great football town. They love their Saints. They got robbed. And you know what? I'm sure there's some diehard Saints fans and Pelicans fans who who feel like this is justice for the, the call in the NFC title game. But man, I can promise you, I, I know there are there are New Orleans sports fans. I've watched more Pelicans games than them. There's a lot of empty seats in that building. It's why AD doesn't want to play there anymore. They had seven years from 2012 to 2019 to build a contender around arguably the most talented player in the NBA in that time span. Most talented young player, we'll put it that way. Most talented young player. Seven years. I get it. It's a small market. You can't attract free agents. But I don't want to hear about this small market thing. San Antonio is the pinnacle of, of how to run an organization. 
it's San Antonio. Okay? Like, I know that's an anomaly. Okay, see? If the Pelicans were the Seattle Supersonics, I wouldn't be too upset. That's all I'm going to say. So congratulations to the Pelicans. I hope you keep both guys because there's not going to be a basket being scored in the paint in New Orleans if that's the case between Zion and Anthony Davis. But no chance I think Anthony Davis stays there. I think he's got one step out the door, one foot out the door. Maybe even more. But man, I know Knicks fans are wildly upset right now after one of the worst seasons in franchise history, if not the worst. But the Bulls, seventh again. Mediocrity. It's worse than being terrible in the NBA. Everyone knows that. Now look, there is a, one positive. I'll give you, I'll leave on a positive note. Kobe White, the Bulls are going to need a point guard. I like Kobe White, North Carolina, 6'5", long, super athletic, plays up-tempo. He's fast. He's got a decent pull-up game. He's not a great creator, and I know that the Bulls got other great players that need to get the ball, so he's going to have to create a little bit more than he's used to. But he's around better players. He's got Laurie. He's got Wendell, Levine, Otto. He fits in seamlessly. I like him. I think he's going to be a good pro. He's not a superstar. He's not John Morant. He's not R.J. Barrett. He's not Zion. You know, we really need to be in the top three this year. And luck was just not on our side. I can accept that. <laughs> There's no way you can tell me that Memphis and New Orleans was the the best way for this lottery night to go for the NBA. I guarantee you Silver was ready. Ready for Knicks games to be on ESPN, TNT again. Bulls back in action. And Bulls fans are still going to show up. But man, we missed out. Alright. Second half of the episode... As some of you may know, I was in town last weekend in Columbia, Missouri for the final weekend before finals. Bo and I, we recap Warriors-Rockets the night before. Uh, the Warriors actually clinched and went to the Western Conference Finals, but there's some pretty good stuff in there. We talked Bucks, who had just clinched to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, talk Raptors late, uh, Philly for a little bit. We kind of go off the rails a little bit and get into free agency. We talk about Kyrie, um, the Lakers, how this is all going to play out. And then we talk about, we preview our weekend, which is pretty much what we did. It was 70, 72 hours of, of straight debauchery, as my boy Josh Richter says. I got to debaucherize for a little bit. I don't even know if that's a word, but you know Jay Smoove. He likes to he likes to make up something sometimes, my guy. All right. I'm glad I got that off my chest. That, that was like 10 minutes. I'm sorry, Bobby. Forgive me, but I had to get it off my chest. It's going to be a crazy offseason, man. Crazy offseason. Kobe White, Bulls fans. I like him. I really do. Pops likes him. That's a good indicator. 6'5", can score the ball. I know I've said this already. I'm just talking to myself at this point. Talking in the mic. Speaking into existence. The good news is is that he plays up-tempo. He likes to play fast. I love that. Jim Boylan's offense is slower than the Chicago Cubs. So, at least we got that. Athletic backcourt with Levine. It wasn't our night. And it hasn't been our decade, really. It really just hasn't. But the 2020s are coming, the roaring 20s. Hopefully we can move on. All right. With all that being said, Robert Mays, Bo Templin, coming up next. Episode 21, run it. And now coming on to the Iconic Podcast, he formerly called into the show when Luke and I were just a little bit younger and first starting our radio gigs. And, and here we are just a few years later. Robert Mays, formerly of Grantland, 
former Mizzou journalism student and now with The Ringer, right, in NFL. And, and I was scrolling through Twitter last week, as I do probably way too often, and I see an article from Robert Mays about the Milwaukee Bucks. And so what do I do? I send a text to Robert. I say, Robert, I've been talking about the Bucks all year long. How would you want to do, how would you want to come on the show and just talk about them real quick? He said, "Sure, let's do it." And we were able to make it happen. Robert, thank you for coming on, buddy. I really appreciate it. No, no worries. I'm happy to be here. I always have time to meet you guys. Man, I I hope that uh in a few years I'll be able to return the favor uh as you are doing right now to the next generation. Um so how did this Bucks article come about? Because really, like, you're an NFL guy. So why the Bucks? Why? When did this start? How did it come about? Are, are, I mean, are you a Bulls fan? Did, did that play into things? I mean, I have been paying attention to the Bucks forever just because, yes, I, I have grown up a Bulls fan. One of my very good friends from college, my college roommate, is actually a huge Milwaukee Bucks fan. And I've always just appreciated how much he loved the Bucks. I think they're a really underrated franchise. The t- people that have stayed with that team are impressive diehards whose loyalty is something to be commended. And uh, but that's why I, that's what I wanted to write when I saw them win when I was up there for game three of Buck Celtics. But the reason that or excuse me, game two. Uh, the reason I kind of got onto it is how a lot of this stuff starts. I was sitting in Bill Simmons' office and we were just talking about whatever, and he said, "How close do you live from Milwaukee?" I was like, not that far. He goes, why wouldn't you just go up there? I was like, that's a good idea. So, I mean, really it was just as simple as that. It was a matter of convenience. Uh, the football season, especially with the draft being over, had slowed down immensely. And it was like, all right, I, I got to write about something, so let's write about this. You mentioned your, your roommate there real quickly. And funny enough, I have a tweet that you wrote about a month ago that I was – I mean, this is one tweet that I selected from the last three months – and you said, I really, really liked watching Dirk Nowitzki play basketball. In 2006 and 2007 was my freshman year at college at Mizzou. And a buddy on my floor was from Dallas. Were the three of you guys all watching together? You, you mentioned cramming into his dorm room, watching a double OT Mavs Suns game? No, this was all different guys. So my college roommate who was a Bucks fan, we lived together junior and senior, my junior year, his senior year. Uh, freshman year, he this carp the Bucks fan lived across the hall from me, and Brian, the Mavericks fan, lived down the hall from me. But we all lived on the seventh floor of Mark Twain, and like everyone's room door was open all the time. And it was very much a kind of walk in walk out policy with everybody. So I just remember kind of ducking in to Brian's room when I would just hear him screaming about the Mavs and just watching the ends of Mavericks Suns games together during that stretch. Which seems like a very, very long time ago now, because it was, because it was 13 years ago, which seems nuts for me now. <laughs> um, no, I saw that tweet, and I, it's so funny that you brought it up, because I did have a question. I was going to ask what dorm you were in and, and all that stuff. But um, in regards to this Bucks article, how did you establish sources, and who were they? I mean, I talked to people that I knew that were Bucks fans. I talked to my old college roommate. I talked to a guy named Dan Schaefer who had been a writer at Milwaukee Magazine and uh, the Milwaukee Business Journal, I want to say it's called. And he did extensive coverage of the stadium plan and just kind of the revamping of the organization overall with the new ownership and everything else. So people on the ground that are just in the know, you know that are very plugged into 
the feeling around that place. And then outside of that, it was just was a couple players in the locker room. It was kind of getting the sense for people around town. When I'm writing a story like that, I mean, you're just sitting there talking to everybody. So before the game, I went to a bar that I know that I like there to eat dinner. And I was just sitting at the bar eating and talking to the bartender and the guys next to me, like, how do you guys feel about the Bucks? You know, it's pretty much that simple. And just doing that for the entire 24 hours I was there, I went out after the game, really just trying to get a sense and a feel for how people are processing what's going on, how they're feeling about their team. I mean, it was really that simple. I didn't really sit down and interview that many people, more so just reading backlogs of articles about how things have changed and getting a sense of things from a short little stop. As a as a guy who's been, you know, I'm a lifelong Bucks fan, although I'm from the West Coast. I mean, my dad's a, a Milwaukee born and raised guy. So the way you wrote it, it was so genuine and so spot on to what I've been feeling as a Bucks fan. I was just kind of curious how you were able to emulate that. I, I did want to ask, how are the Bucks different from what you expected prior to writing the article? I don't think they are really, because again, I've been in touch with and talked with and watched the franchise for so long that I've seen this trajectory happen. So it was more so, I think, just being in the building, seeing how nice the building is, and just getting a sense for how dominant that team is and the feeling of dominance when you're in the arena. You know, that's the biggest change for me is that I think I wrote you know, their rise has mirrored Giannis's rise. And he went from mm-hmm. this kind of cuddly curiosity to this overwhelming, dominant, suffocating force. And that's what you felt when you were in there. And I think there was a little bit of anxiety after game one. And you could feel that kind of seep into the second half just because they weren't pulling away. It seemed like the game was a toss-up. And then there was that run in the third quarter where it was over. And watching the entire arena just in that run – to, yeah, this is what we've been. This is who we are. That was striking. Uh, again, never having been in a game in that arena, never having seen this version of the team live, it was like, wow. It really does get out and bite you. God, that's, that's, that word suffocating uh, really sticks with, with what I'm p- kind of picking up from your article. From what you saw this year, how much was this team affected by that Celtics loss in seven games last year? I think they absolutely were. I mean, I think that it gives you a little bit of an edge, but I also feel like that edge is combined with transformative moves. You know, it's the idea yeah. of bringing in Budenholzer, spreading out the offense, you know, getting Brook Lopez for next to nothing. You know, they stumbled into these choices that ended up being genius decisions that really change and alter who you can be based on your roster and your overall approach. And I think that was huge. I mean, I think they have a lot of the pieces in place. You know, having Giannis, having Eric Bledsoe, I mean, that's the foundation of a really good defense. Lopez has been a super underrated rim protector. So combining the pieces with the guys that can make it happen and and the mentality to make it happen, it's all just kind of a perfect storm. It all coalesced at the exact right time right as they walked into that new arena. I mean, the timing of it could not have been more perfect. This is the end game of a plan that this franchise had three years ago that has worked out better than they ever could have imagined. I see what you did there with Endgame, by the way. I don't know. I don't know if you thought you. I don't know if you thought you were. Oh, not on purpose. No. Okay. Well, I absolutely picked it up. Um, 
Oh, that's so good. So you recently moved back to Chicago, correct? I mean, it's been almost four years now. July of 2015 is when I came back here. I was actually kind of moving, living in Milwaukee for a little bit, and that fell through. And then I uh, came back here, and uh, I settled into a place in May of 2016, and it's really been great since. I've been here for three years now. Very cool. So a lot of, you know, Mizzou journalism kids here, I mean, a lot of them are going to be graduating over the course of the next week. And, uh, you, you know, you've been able to establish yourself in a way that I think a lot of kids would love to. What would your advice be to the kids that are about to embrace their first two to three years out of college moving uncertainty? I think just kind of embrace it as it comes. Be willing to take chances as much as you can. You know, I know people are in the position to not get paid to do their work. I would say don't do work for free. I'd say the work you do, you should get paid for, but be willing to take some risks. And the thing I've always said, and it's what I've always believed, is that being more annoying than you're comfortable with. You know, send an extra text message, mm. send an extra email. You know, step outside of whatever social norms you think you should ascribe to when it comes to interacting with people because that's not how it works. If you kind of stick in somebody's craw and you make it easier for them to deal with you than to ignore you, and that can be a really powerful tool. You're not trying to make friends. You're trying to get a job. So I think that's something that I always tried to do, and I always tried to really embrace within myself because it's not easy. I'm like most people. I just really want everyone to like me at all times. So making sure that you don't always act like that, I think, can be a very useful tool. Wow. I think that is some very brilliant advice. I, I definitely am going to try and apply that to myself. So – you texted me earlier today as we were kind of trying to set this up, and you accidentally texted me a message that was supposed to go to your podcast co-host. And you said that you have, quote, you have one that you really, really love. And I believe it was a, re regarding a fake trade. Have you recorded this podcast yet with your co-host? We did record it. I mean, I'm willing to say it. That was Can you share that fake trade for me? Uh, it was, so the idea was we're doing like dream trades for teams right now. You know, it's really the only way you can get better is with some fringe free agents, but a splashy trade is we, we've seen them in the NFL recently, so they're never off the table. And the one that I just loved in terms of need, you know, plus franchise trajectory, everything else was AJ Green going to the Saints. Oh, oh, Robert, you dog, you dog. Oh, Seems outlandish, and it is outlandish. I mean, he, he's such a spectacular player. I don't think the Bengals would be that motivated to get rid of him, but the Bengals are in an uncertain place with where they're going right now. And he's in the last year of his contract. He's going to be 30. You know, the Saints have been in win-now mode seemingly for the last five years, and they don't really treat future assets like they exist. So it, it may seem crazy, but I don't think it's as crazy as it seems. So would you rather have Michael Thomas and A.J. Green or OBJ and Jarvis Landry? Michael Thomas and A.J. Green, no question. Okay, all right. I was just kind of curious. Um, you recently compared Aaron Rodgers to John Wick, and John Wick 3 is coming out. I know you're a movie guy. So what I decided to do, and I don't even know if you're going to be able to pull this off, but I want to spit a couple action movie stars, and I want – the NFL quarterback comparison. Maybe not even quarterback, but just kind of want to see how this goes. So if Aaron Rodgers is John Wick, then who is the Dominic Toretto of the NFL? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Anti-hero, old school, loyalty, embraces family. 
That's a good. That's a good. That that's a, that's very good. That's true. That's exactly who he is. I uh, I don't want to say Tom Brady because I feel like Tom. That's, that's it's not Tom Brady. I think that I don't know. It's weirdly probably like in a sense it's like Eli Manning. It's like the Giants and Eli Manning. It's like <laughs> there's so much history there, and like that's all that matters at this point. But he's oh. far more effective than Eli Manning. I don't know who's been oh. in their spot for like a really long what time. What about what about Philip I mean, Rivers? That's probably a good one. That's probably a good one. He he's a big family guy, obviously. So I, I wouldn't say his and, relationship to the Chargers is necessarily like that, but I would say his relationship and like his relationships in life probably uh, dictate that a little bit. Okay, so if 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 Aaron Rodgers is John Wick, and if Philip Rivers is Dominic Toretto, then who's the James Bond of the NFL? Oh, Brady, easily. And that's what I thought you were going to say. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been going for, what, like 50 years, the same way the James Bond franchise has been going for 50 years. He's He can wear the hell out of a suit. Uh, yeah, I would definitely say it's Brady. If if uh, James Bond drank, like, avocado smoothies, that would be a little bit more on brand. But Okay, but didn't, didn't Brady put back a beer, I think, on Stephen Colbert? I mean, I'm sure he has like a beer every six months. Okay, but okay. I'm, I'm yeah. not sure he's drinking many, uh, many shaken, not Sh- stirred. Shaken, right yeah, now. there we go, there we go. Um, another another character, and then we can kind of wrap this up for you because I know you got to roll. Uh, King Leonidas from 300, um, fearless, a true leader, uh, borderline overly aggressive. I guess Baker Mayfield. They both have the beards too. Oh God, Robert, you're on fire right now. And I got a couple more, but we'll, we'll kind of keep it moving. So I, I'm a Packer fan, and I want to know that what what should I set my expectations to be this year? I mean, I think you should set them pretty high. I think it's all a matter of what that new offense looks and what Rodgers looks like in that new offense. I like the fact that Mike Pettin is the defensive coordinator. I like the moves that they've made. You know, they went out and were very aggressive in free agency. I mean, two pass rushers going to get Adrian Amos. It just feels like their talent overall on that side of the ball is pretty solid, and they have the guy to pull it all together. It's more a matter of what's going to happen on offense. You know, is that scheme going to work? Can they find enough pass catchers to make it work? So I think you should feel pretty good. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they contended to win the division, but there's a lot of uncertainty there that there really isn't with a team like Chicago or with a team like Minnesota just because we've seen a lot of those pieces in place before. You know, the, the Bears are wrapping up one of their better years of, of the last decade here. Is, is there a chance that they have, I don't, not the sophomore slump, but maybe a tough time repeating uh, the success that they had last year? Or are they just destined to continue it? Oh, I think absolutely there's a chance that they don't repeat it. I mean, you have a team that was pretty much injury-free on defense. They turned the ball over a lot. I mean, they create a lot of turnovers. These things are really hard is the same from season to season. They typically aren't consistent. And they lost, arguably, in my mind, the best defensive coordinator in the NFL. So, I mean, there are a lot of reasons that they wouldn't repeat, but you can also see the offense being better in year two. So the key in the NFL is making sure you change and you evolve enough to stay ahead of the regression. And a lot of teams aren't able to do that. Jacksonville last year is a perfect example. But the teams that are really good, the teams that are always around, Seattle was for a while, like the Eagles, the the Patriots. They make sure the way the Rams have done it. You can't just sit there and say we're the same now. 
You have to go out and make these little incremental moves and hope that you get better in some areas to make up for your kind of decline in other areas. And that's why teams are good, and that's why teams stay good. Robert, the final question I have for you, and then I'm going to let you go. I appreciate the time. Is this season of Game of Thrones overrated, underrated, or properly rated? I mean, I think at this point it's probably properly rated. It's certainly not overrated because everyone hates it. But I don't think it's underrated. I think that's a contrarian take I'm not really willing to lean into right now. And I think it's been it's been underwhelming. And I think in its being underwhelming, it has been properly rated. People are upset, and I get it. I mean, you want a satisfying end to what has been probably the biggest television experience most of us have had in our entire lives, and it doesn't feel like we're getting that. So, uh, Robert, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'll let you go and do your thing, but – very happy to have a, a former Mizzou journalism student back on the podcast, and uh, we appreciate the time. No worries, man. Thank you very much. Robert Mays. Oh, it's so – God, this Mizzou journalism school is so great. This place is so cool. The fact that we just get to talk to people like that on a regular basis, come on. We're so lucky. And I, I mentioned it in a previous podcast, but aside from what – we learn or the skills obtained in college, a lot of times it's just the networking, the networking, the networking, the networking, and, and expanding that web. And, and if in a couple of years I'm able to continue to talk to Robert Mays, you know, maybe once or twice a year, and who knows? I'd love to end up at the ringer someday, and, and how funny would it be to be potentially co-workers with someone like Robert Mays would be a dream come true. Well, I, I think there's about a half hour left until until Uncle arrives into the studio all the way from Glen Ellen, Illinois. 